This episode of the Film Pulse podcast is brought to you by Audible. Visit audibletrial.com slash filmpulse and claim your free audiobook today. <gasps> oh, great Odin's Raven. It's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy. This is, uh, this is ridiculous, okay? I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, with, I'll go. Welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast, Episode 2. With me, as always, is Kevin. How you doing there, Kevin? Uh, not too bad. Uh, today, we got a good show for you. We're going to be talking about documentaries, uh, specifically our favorite documentaries of the year, the Oscar-nominated documentaries, and we also got Ryan back with us to watch another movie and tell us about how that was, and we're just going to go over some of the movies we saw this week, so... Uh, let's get it started. Um, Kevin, what were you watching this week? Uh, I watched mostly all documentaries. And, yeah, me too. Uh, I also watched Rampart, which I had to review up there on the website yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, saw Snowtown last weekend, the mm-hmm. Australian movie. Um, Pina, the Toynbee Tile documentary mm-hmm. which was great and uh tabloid okay uh we're gonna talk about the documentaries that we saw a little bit later um i watched a whole bunch of movies this week uh a lot of documentaries like kevin um i also saw a dangerous method with uh Kira knightley michael fassbender and it's the uh david cronenberg film who did he did uh history of violence and the road very disappointed in this movie. I know a lot of critics and stuff were kind of uneven about this one, but I, I I pretty much hated it. I hated it. Not a fan. No, I thought it was awful. I really did. I thought Keira Knightley's performance was not great. I would almost call it dismal, but just not into that one. Um, it's not enough excitement for you for, you know, no. young and... Freud. No, I just you know, I just wasn't into it. I don't particularly like period pieces, and this was just kind of boring, kind of disjointed. It was all over the place. But uh, I hate period pieces. Yeah, I, I just them. can't get into them. Uh, I also he, saw. He, I saw wait, tiny one second. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he did not direct the road. Oh, didn't he? No. I thought he. I thought he did that one. He did Eastern Promises, right? Yes, yes. I guess just because Vigo is in all of them, I thought he did The Road, too. Yeah. Um, I also saw Tiny Furniture, and I know you saw this one, too. Uh, I finally got around to watching it, and I really liked that one. I thought that was really good. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, Tiny Furniture a lot. She, uh, what's, Lena Durham, or Dunham? Yeah, I think so. Uh, she actually has a show that's coming out soon. A, t- a TV show? Yeah. Called uh, Girls. Oh, yeah, on HBO, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that Which, looks, yeah, that looks good. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. She, was, she was actually in uh, The Innkeepers as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um... I also saw the Oscar-nominated shorts for animation this weekend. Uh, I wrote about that on the site a little bit, and uh, those were all pretty good. I enjoyed all of them for the most part, but I thought the Pixar movie, La Luna's the clear winner. Uh, if you're doing Oscar polls, I would definitely uh, pick that one. Yeah. So. I, w- I was surprised last year that they lost, though. Their, uh, that day and night short didn't win. Yeah, I didn't... I thought La Luna was better than that one. I thought the day and night one was okay, but La Luna was like, uh, it was like on par with the feature length Pixar films. It was like, Mm. you could, the subject matter was uh, not a lot of substance there. So it's not like they could make a feature length out of it, but it was perfect for like a seven minute short. Um, that really pretty much sums up everything that I watched this week. Um, let's go ahead and get into our next segment, which is called Ryan Watches a Movie. 
This is Ryan Watches a Movie, where we get our friend Ryan to watch a movie and report back to us on if it was good or not. Oh no. The little kids got naked and had lots of sex. Okay, Ryan, what movie did we have you watch this week? Crawl. Crawl. This is a 1983 (laughs) sci-fi film uh, directed by Peter Yates. It got a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. And the reason I picked this one is because when Crawl came out, it was essentially a Star Wars ripoff. And right now with the Phantom Menace being re-released in 3D, I feel like we're getting ripped off all over again by George Lucas. So, Ryan, why don't you tell us about what Crawl was? A pile of garbage. <laughs> um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you trying I to say that it wasn't start... good? Yes. I want to start off by saying that it was a Star Wars ripoff, I felt like. But it was made like seven years after Star Wars. Yeah. And the uh, special effects look look. But they look far worse than seven years previous. Let's uh let's go ahead and listen to a uh we have the trailer here for Crawl, so here's the trailer for Crawl. On a distant planet, a great kingdom was ravaged by beings who came from the future to conquer the universe. survivors follow a doubtful seer and a throneless king. They will hold her in the black fortress. You must have help. Amazing. Why don't you just, can you tell us a little bit about the plot? Basically, this guy, this like king to be marries the chick and this beast thing steals her, and he has to go and fight with these outlaws that he finds in the middle of nowhere. He just finds outlaws that are hanging out, like, in a forest somewhere. <laughs> and out of the forest. They all decided that he's the king, and why need any credentials? We just need to know that he is the king, and that's good enough for us. We'll take your word for it. In the planet, in the in the universe of Crawl, they go on the honor system. Yes. 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 What um, what does the name Crawl? Is that the lead character's name? Ah, uh, no. <laughs> What's Crawl? <laughs> No, I do not know. <laughs> I do. It, sa- it says that I believe that's, that's the planet. It's the planet. Oh, that's crawl. the planet. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is the planet. I'm just. I have so many problems with this. It is not even funny. I understand yes, it that it's older, but I mean, first of all, they all fight at one point in the movie, and. It's a fight where all the bad guys have laser guns and all the good guys have swords. <laughs> uh, like, seriously, how does that work out? Were they like, like, how do you think that would end? So they weren't good. even like lightsabers, they were like regular swords. Yeah. Were they able to like deflect the laser blasts? Yeah, I was going to say. That's uh, sort of. They're more all about dancing out of the land. <laughs> fucking matrix, matrix thing over the lake. Oh, Whatever God. you want to call them. Second of all, at one point in the story, it, it's about this, like, one of the main focuses about this quote-unquote secret weapon and it's basically a Chinese star yes. without blades 
Yeah, I saw that. Um, I think oh, that's yeah. like the signature thing with that movie. And I like that in the trailer you see him use it. And I like how he, the, the actor doesn't even try and like throw it correctly. No. He just sort of flicks his wrist nonchalantly, like, eh, and it flies, you know, the whole way across with precision. And it disintegrates the enemies. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a button that he pushes that extends blades out of all five ends. Oh. And I don't know nice. how that existed in the 80s, but somehow, apparently, it did. Well, I think we can assume that, I mean, this is like, is this still the 80s on their planet? Is, or is it in the future? It's, that, it, that's an author kind of hard thing to tell. It's sort of uh, back in the day, but it's also futuristic. Mm. Yeah, it looks like it's almost, it's like medieval times, but yeah, set but in it's the future. Like, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That's also one of the reasons it was terrible. And there's, there's two things I want to point out about this movie. Number one, it was one of the most expensive movies at the time. It was like forty million, $45 million budget. Whoa. And it, it apparently it only brought in like sixteen and a half million. Mm. So they t- they took a hit there. So we won't be seeing Crawl Two anytime soon. <laughs> uh probably not. Plus there was more fire mare mares in the movie. Fire steeds, mares? Steeds that travel so fast they leave a trail of flame and can defy gravity. Oh. Nice. I want a fire mare. Heck yeah. Well, um, I want a firemare to run over this movie. Was it was it like a family film like like Star uh, Wars or was it violent? It wasn't like um, I guess you could say it was sort of violent, but it wasn't like gruesome. It wasn't like uh you know how Star Wars they fight. But mm-hmm. there's, like, no blood. Right. That's kind of how this was. Only a sword. So it is It is still kind of, like, a family, almost like a family film. Yeah, So you could, you could sit down with the kids mm. and watch Krull with some popcorn. I don't know why you would ever want to put a child through that. <laughs> Did they have, like uh, like, puppets and stuff? Like different aliens and stuff. They had they had uh, they had this one guy who was supposedly a good guy, and they found him. They found him in another part of the forest. And Always in the forest. That's where you find everyone. He only had one eye, and he was a cyclops. Yeah, supposedly he was born with two eyes, but his race gave up one eye to be able to see into the future but they can't see into the future <laughs> oh, so they, get, they got ripped off <laughs> yes fooled you <laughs> and also my the scene well I mean there's a lot of things about this movie but the second thing I noticed is at one point, where when he's going after the Chinese blade star thing, he reaches his hand into this, like, lava pit and pulls it out. When he reaches his hand in, there's flames everywhere. But he doesn't scream in pain. He just reaches in like normal. So it doesn't even burn him or anything, or what? No. Oh, okay. So, so there's flames, no burn, he gets it, and then there's no flames. Oh, it's that special kind of lava that doesn't burn you that you can swim in. I think <laughs> I heard gonna, about that. We're gonna call it crap lava. It's on the... What? It only exists on the oh. planet Krull. Krull. I also want to know... If this movie costs $45 million to make, 
Why can't they have given me some of that money? For watching it? Instead of making... Well, they that is a good idea. They could have paid me to watch it. But they also could have paid me and not even made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you can you can turn that into a line of business. You can be, you know, sort of a consultant for studios. And they can come to you and be like, we're thinking about spending $45 million on a movie called Crawl. And they'll tell you a little bit about it. And you can just go, no. Bad idea. And uh, Liam Neeson's in this, right? Is he a main character or is he just a nobody? He's one of the uh, thieves that the good guy meets in the forest. <laughs> Why are it's weird. thieves and outlaws always in the forest? Dude, that's where they hang out, man. There's, there's like five or six of them. And they start fighting this good guy first. And once they have him surrounded, they come out and like out in the open. And all of them have chains around their wrists. Like, you know, shackle. Mm-hmm. But they're cut so their hands are free. But they also have chains on their which also, I didn't understand that hmm. at all. Okay. I'm reading a little bit here about this movie, and I just I want to share this sentence that I'm seeing. When the Slayers try to kill Titch, Ergo surprisingly <laughs> transforms into a tiger and kills the Slayers, <laughs> injuring himself while saving <laughs> Titch's life. <laughs> uh, how was that in the movie? Did he morph? That was pretty terrible looking. He morphed into a tiger. Yeah, sort of. There's this one guy, and it's the guy that you're talking about. I can't remember his name, but it looks sort of like the the main guy from Monty Python, I think. And... He has a little bit of an accent. It's kind of a... This movie is sort of a mixture between Star Wars and, like, I'd say Monty Python. Because there's a lot of dumbass humor. Okay, so it's like goofy kind of slapstick comedy. Yeah, it's not... Yeah, it's not like, um, oh, what's the space balls? It's not like that. What about, but is, but it, is it intentionally like yeah, that? Yeah, is it, is it supposed to be? Or does it just come off that way? I, I think it's intentional because, like, they don't, like, make fun of anything, but it's just really quirky. So maybe it's like a like a poor man's version of like Princess Bride or something or, or Time Bandits. Sort of. Well, funny you should mention that. I'm I looked up the writer of this movie. His name is Stanford Sherman. He wrote a, his last movie that he wrote is called The Ice Pirates. Mm. From oh, 1984. That's, that's a good one. 1984. <laughs> and the storyline <laughs> says. A real space opera with sword fights, explosions, fighting robots, monsters, bar fights, and time warps. Uh-oh. Whoa! So, <laughs> looks like we found. Uh, yeah, looks like we found your Stay. movie next week, Ryan. <laughs> yes. Stay tuned up my theory being that. Yeah. Well, thanks again for uh, enduring another movie. Uh, we'd like to have you back next week to do it again. Uh, we'll have a really good one for you next week, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I'm excited. All right, Ryan, you have a good one and uh, recuperate, and we'll get you another one next week. All right, see you later. See you, Ryan. I'd like to take a minute and talk about Stitcher Internet Radio. You can now listen to our podcast streaming on your smartphone be it an Android or iOS device. Kevin, you have an Android, right? 
I do have an Android. And I have an iPhone, so we can listen to ourselves talk on our phones when we're on the go. All you gotta, yeah, it's great. All you got to do is go to the App Store on your phone and download the Stitcher app. It's free. It's free to sign up. Make sure you enter promo code FILMPULSE when you're registering. So you see a link at the top that says, tell us how you found out about us. You type in FILMPULSE, all one word. You get entered to win $100. They do a monthly drawing, and uh, you'll be supporting the show. Sounds good. Yep. Uh, Let's go ahead and get into documentaries. Let's talk about some documentaries. Uh, First off, uh, we saw a whole bunch. We're probably only going to talk about some of the ones that we've seen this year. What was your favorite documentary this year? Uh, It would have to be a tie between Tabloid and Resurrected, the Toynbee Tiles uh, documentary. Now those, uh, let's, let's talk about Tabloid first. Tabloid, uh, both of these films were not nominated for the Academy Award this year, so they both kind of got overlooked, I think. Yeah. Let's talk about Tabloid first. Um, you want to start us off with that? Uh, tabloid is by Earl Morris, who has done numerous, numerous uh, documentaries including uh, man man on a ledge by the way yes yes i don't know what happened there um but this one centers on joyce mckinney uh back in the 70s apparently she mm-hmm. was charged with uh kidnapping a young mormon missionary in the uk and chaining them up to a bed and having sex with them. Yeah. And it sort of tells the story of all that, and she's just a bizarre character. <laughs> it, it's really it's really a perfect movie for a documentary because she's <laughs> so insane. Like, not, like, they interview her throughout the movie, and she just, she really believes in her heart that what she did was right, it wasn't. It wasn't really kidnapping, and that this they loved each other. Like this guy was madly in love with her, and was brainwashed by the Mormon Church. Yes. <laughs> and it just gets. It, it starts off because I really didn't know too much about this film when I watched it, so it was kind of interesting for me to see how bizarre it just got i mean (laughs) it starts off kind of like okay where where are we going here like what's this all about and then as the movie progresses it just gets more bizarre yes and she's just so crazy she's such a character yeah it's and i'm sort of surprised because i didn't know anything about the story no i didn't either when i when i went into it and i'm very surprised that i've never heard about this case right it must have been my only guess is that it must have been like big over in the UK. Yeah. Cuz I didn't know anything about it and um it was huge over there. I mean she be, she literally became a celebrity mm-hmm. f- for this this thing. But I'm also surprised that just as much as our culture is about uh like referencing things. Mhm. Like, that I've never heard about this. It's never been referenced. Never heard anyone talk about it. It's just mind blown to me that I've never heard about this story. Yeah, and it was a it was a really big deal. Like this, uh, she was supposedly a, a model, uh, and you know, kidnapping this guy and essentially raping him. Mm-hmm. And, and it, uh, there should be air quotes, air quotes when we say model. Right, right. There's, there's some developments in in the documentary that come out that kind of point to the opposite of the model, pretty much. But uh, th- that was one thing that I always questioned. That they questioned in the movie, like, how does she have all the money to travel around the world and kidnap this guy and hire a pilot to, to fly them places and all this stuff? Yeah, yeah, and then. Uh, to- you might 
recognize her from you know a couple of years ago she was she had her dog mm-hmm. yeah i do i do remember that which is funny because you know i heard about that and the woman that had her dog cloned in korea and all that stuff but still, I didn't hear about the Mormons' sex in chains case. Yeah, see, I didn't even know about the dog cloning. I, I didn't even know about that. So when that when they talked about that in the movie, I was like, "What?" I, was like, I, I had no yeah. idea. And I, I so, oh, I forgot about it. And I'm just thinking, well, this movie can't get any more bizarre. And then they're like, "She had her dog cloned." It's like, oh wait, yes, it can. It can become more bizarre. Yeah, not only did she have her dog cloned, but I believe she had another dog. She was, like, really into dogs. And she had another dog that attacked her and severely injured her. Mm-hmm. It was just so weird. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, let's move on. Uh, do you have anything else to say about Tabloid? Uh, one little thing about Tabloid that I wanted to bring up that I thought was very funny is how the the UK guy was uh he was really into the word spread eagled yes and, yeah he was yes he was and and I love how they would have the it would just come up in yeah. you know bold font spread eagled it reminded me of uh like Tim and Eric where they would just put random words on the screen mm-hmm. that was great um tabloid check it out i think you can probably get it on netflix is that right mm-hmm. netflix yeah. streaming yeah. um i don't think you can't stream it. oh you can't stream it no unfortunately no. you can get the disc which it'll probably be streaming like in a couple of days because i said that you can't get it probably they're listening the netflix people are listening right now <laughs> in that case make them all streaming Yes, please. Make every movie ever made streaming immediately. That'd be nice. Especially the Sundance uh, Festival ones. Yes. Thank you, Netflix. Okay, moving on. Next up, we have uh, Resurrect Dead, the Toynbee Tiles. Um, This is a really, really fascinating documentary. I think that this is probably my favorite of the year. Yes. Um, It's kind of hard to describe but basically if you live on the east coast if you live around philadelphia baltimore new york uh boston they you'll you might notice on the streets there's these very strange tiles that appear uh they're they're all throughout the city they have the same message do you have the message written down yeah it says uh toynbee idea in Kubrick's 2001 Resurrect Dead on Planet Jupiter. Now, sometimes they it's worded differently, but that's usually the gist of what the tile says. So there's these, and there's hundreds of these. They're all over the place. Um, basically, the film, uh, go, it goes over what they are, and then it's these, these guys that they decide they're going to sit down, they're going to solve this. They're going to figure out who is laying down these tiles and why and what it all means and as the film progresses they start to find clues and they start to unravel this mystery about these tiles where they came from what they mean yes i think they were first spotted like what like late 70s yeah i think it was like uh maybe late 70s early 80s that they they started being spotted so it's been going on for decades and they they started in Philadelphia. That's where they initially began appearing. And they and it's the way that they were made is really interesting because they were sort of pressed into the road. And mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, all the tiles were actually on the street. So it's not like they were on a sidewalk or anything like that. They were like in the middle of the road. And I think that they said that even some of them were on highways too. Yes. Yeah. Which made made it even more um, interesting because, like, how did they do this? I mean, these are busy city streets, and they have these yeah. tiles that are pressed into the road. Yes. And um, also, many of the tiles would have additional wording, additional paragraphs that go around the borders 
that that would say different things, like really, really strange things. Um, it, it was very cryptic. Everything was very cryptic about it. Yes, very much so. Um, and it all comes from the Toynbee is uh, is a reference to Arnold Toynbee, who's a famous historian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course Kubrick 2001 A Space Odyssey and they think that they can resurrect dead molecules on the planet Jupiter yep and he's apparently trying to get that out there and and it's so funny because when you first start watching the movie you're like how are these guys going to figure this out like how in the world are they supposed to figure out who did this but you know, they'll get a clue, and they'll follow that clue until they hit a dead end, and then something else falls into their lap. I mean, it's it's incredible that it's a documentary. It feels like it could be like a feature film, you know, like a narrative. Yeah. Well, they do get, they catch a lucky break, mm-hmm. because they find a tile in Santiago, Chile, of all places, Yeah. that mentions a street address in... Philadelphia. Yeah, so so they start investigating so, that, which yeah. seemingly leads to a dead end, but they also begin to find other clues, um, and it, they basically compile a list of suspects that they think it could be, and then they kind of follow those leads. And um, the other interesting thing that happens is um, I don't remember exactly when they said it happened. Maybe it was like in the 80s or 90s when apparently the person that was doing the tiles was riding around uh, broadcasting messages that were appearing on people's TVs. And that was the yes. other crazy thing about it. You'd be watching TV and this crazy person would, would come on your TV and be spouting off this insane stuff. Yeah, resurrecting dead molecules on the planet Jupiter. I would compare. I reviewed this um, film for the the website, and uh, I compared it to Catfish. It is a lot like Catfish in that it they kind of follow this this story, and they kind of follow the trail, and they try to figure out what's going on. But the pacing in Resurrect Dead is a lot different than in Catfish. With Catfish. It was a very slow-paced film until the end. During the climax, you really—that was when it kind of crescendoed. And um, with *Resurrect Dead*, it's it's more evenly paced throughout. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that the payoff was better, but it was a good ending. I, I know a lot of people online kind of complained about the ending, but I thought it was absolutely perfect for the subject matter of the film. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things about it that I don't know if we can talk about because I don't want to sort of yeah. spoil the, the ending. It's it's tough to talk about this one because uh, I didn't know too much about it other than seeing the trailer um, going into it. So it was really... I was on the edge of my seat throughout. I was just like so fascinated by what was happening and just the, the crazy path that they end up taking and it was just very very good yes yes it's definitely something to check out because it's just a fascinating story and just to to watch them do their little investigation and find clues and yeah i mean it's i love mysteries and this is like a real life mystery that they're capturing and they use a lot of different techniques to capture uh to show things on the film, like they do use some animation and they use some reenactments uh, along with the actual footage and stuff like that. So they use a lot of different techniques, but yeah. I did feel at times um, it was kind of kind of sloppy. It felt a little unpolished to me. Yeah, this is a little bit, but it was a really good story. Just it would have been nicer if it was done by someone else. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, they could have been, it could have been more polished, but at the same time, these were the guys that were actually doing the investigation, so it makes sense that they actually make the movie. Yeah, and I mean, it was basically kind of an amateur project. I think they were all first-time filmmakers, so it, it did seem a little low-budget, but it, the story makes up for that uh, by mm-hmm. far. I mean, it yeah. was just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Let's move on and talk about some of the Oscar-nominated documentaries. Um, Which one do you want to go over first? Let's go over Pina, because that seems to be the the one that everybody's talking about. I think that's probably the front-runner at this point, I would say. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, it sort of still is a a toss-up, though. I could see... almost any one of these winning yeah and um full disclosure i did say earlier this week that we were going to be going over all of the documentaries but um i didn't realize that undefeated was unavailable so i didn't get to see undefeated Mm. but i did see i did see the other four yeah I, i as well did not see undefeated uh, let's go ahead and talk about pina first now this is um about the famous German choreographer. Um, mm-hmm. Why don't you just give us a little rundown of what Pina was about? Uh, Pina is essentially, you would think that it's going uh, to be like a normal documentary, but it's not. It just essentially shows all of her work, all of her uh, pieces, performances, and stuff like that done by her dancers. She was ahead of a, a group, like a dance company, and uh, it sort of just shows that they don't really talk about her that much. You know, the, the dancers themselves just talk about her very briefly, but the whole movie is just mostly the, the performances. Yeah, and I had a lot of issues <laughs> with this movie. Um, th- that one being the first one, where... I felt like, I feel like a documentary should teach me something. I should learn something from a documentary. Uh, and since it's a documentary about uh, her, I feel like I should know who she is because I didn't know who she was. I'm not into dance, especially the, that specific type of like interpretive dance. So after mm-hmm. the film, I felt like I still don't know who she is. Like, who who is she? I don't mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I see. I now know her for her work, but I still don't really know anything about her. Although I will say, I did like how they interviewed the um, the dancers, where they would just do voiceover and then just have them sitting there not talking. I mm-hmm. thought that I thought yes. that was kind of cool. But overall, I I don't even consider this. I wouldn't even consider it a documentary. I would consider it more like a a performance like a tribute to her life yeah but i thought it was and maybe it's just because it's not my type of thing but i found it to be very boring and strange and i just was not into it at all yeah i well i do i love the way they did the interviews um mm-hmm. with them just sitting there uh with, while their voiceover of how they answered the questions or whatever they were talking about and they just sort of sit there and react to what they're saying mm-hmm. without speaking which I thought was a nice touch because they are <clears throat> essentially interpretive dancers so it was a nice way to sort of tie in that they're essentially interpreting their own voiceover for the documentary yep which I thought was nice how they did that, but <clears throat> I know that I did talk to you when I was about halfway through this movie, and I said that I really enjoyed it. I liked the way they were doing everything. It, it was great. And then I did find myself, like, an hour into it, like, okay, let's move on. Yeah. It's like another, and it's not, I don't understand modern dance and interpretive dance. I don't get it. I don't understand what they're doing. And even there were there were certain routines that they did where I understood what they were like the story that they were telling. Like I I got it, but 
a lot of it I thought was kind of weird. And I did notice that apparently she liked to have a lot of the dancers just kind of stand still and have the other dancers move the people. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of, I felt like a lot of the performances kind of were of that ilk where the dancer would just kind of stand still like a, like a rag doll and the other dancers would kind of come in and move them, move them around. But I thought it was really a lot of the performances I thought were very bizarre, especially the one with the the lady where she's just kind of standing still and then all the dudes come in and are, like, touching her and moving her around and stuff. I thought, the, yeah. I thought that one was particularly weird. Yes, that and the, uh, the one where the woman comes out. There's, like, a chair there, mm-hmm. and she just holds up two cuts of veal <laughs> and yells, this is veal, and then puts them in her ballet slippers. And then it essentially just tiptoes around. Yeah. For a good minute and a half. I mean, there it was beautifully shot. I will give them that. Yeah, this this cinematography is amazing in this movie. And I also think though that it's not really the pieces that that you know, like the performances and stuff that were you know striking or anything. It's more of where they were done like they just picked out really good places yeah to perform mm-hmm. these places yeah or absolutely these pieces like they they did like one at a what appeared to be like a public pool like an indoor public pool and just a lot of the yeah i thought a lot of the locations were really cool like the escalator and like yeah. um that was that was pretty cool <clears throat> that was definitely cool. like a lot of it looks like a lot of parks uh inside of like beautiful architecture um just it seemed like that was the star when you were watching the pieces it was like oh they picked a perfect place like when the one guy's dancing at a i think it's like a quarry Mm -hmm. you know and the way they would they would work in their surroundings and everything but i really still i don't understand interpretive dance i don't get it no it it just it looks like it hurts yeah they uh it's like they're 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 like popping and locking the whole time (laughs) yeah but with no i don't want to say skill but a lot of flailing they do a lot they do a lot of flailing and running around a lot of flailing uh the one piece that i guess which, which is Apparently, like, her most famous piece is called Café Mueller, where it takes place inside of a cafe, and there's a guy that throws chairs around and all this stuff. And she essentially just walks around pensively and sort of just walks into walls. Mm-hmm. And that's that's it. Yeah, a lot of, cha- Which... a lot of chairs being used as props in it as well. We use a lot of chairs. Yeah. Uh, going back to the um, the settings real quick, um, I would say that if they didn't have the interesting locales, I would not be able to watch it. Mm-mm. If it was if it was all no. done on a stage, there would be no way that I'd be able to make <laughs> it through. Yeah. Um, but even then, they do. I will say that when they did do things on stages, is uh, they found ways to to you know like the one at the end where they have like a huge rock on the stage and there's like they make it rain and Mm -hmm. stuff that was really i thought that was pretty cool plus the one in the beginning which i thought was yeah that was the best one to me that was the only one that i actually thought like wow i would actually probably go see that yeah um at the beginning of the film they uh, the first piece that they do they spread uh tons of dirt on the stage like thick dirt and then they do they're like rolling around in it and it's just uh it's pretty good i guess yeah that one was the only one that i thought came close to i don't know if i want to say like me understanding it or maybe just yeah that's when i was referring to understanding uh certain pieces that was the one that i was thinking of like i I understood where that one was what was going yeah. on but uh so pina definitely lukewarm for me i 
Couldn't recommend it to anyone. Yeah, um, I would say essentially just watch it if you want to see uh, beautiful cinematography. That's about yeah. it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's that's. I agree. But I do. I want. I want to say it was. I didn't get to see it in three D. Oh no! Which, yeah, I, I bet it was really cool in three D. Th- I'm sure that three D would add a lot to it. So I mean, if you if you're able to see it in three D, I would probably check it out then. Yeah. And I have to say that I like that uh, a lot of people that are, are doing that now, where they're they're using three D in sort of a, a mm-hmm. subtle way. Yeah. Just to sort of slightly enhance. Yeah, Hugo is a great example of that. Um, yeah, plus the Cave of Forgotten mm-hmm. Dreams. You know, it just adds a little bit to it. It's sort of like a sophisticated use of 3D instead of just throwing it in your face. Yeah. Um, let's, well, since we're on uh, the topic, let's talk a little bit about Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Um, now, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I love uh, Herzog films, um, but... I felt like it was a little bit too long. I felt like there's a lot of a lot of filler. And um, first, I guess we should go over what the plot of the film is uh, for those that, that haven't heard of it. Basically, Cave of Forgotten Dreams is about a cave that gets discovered um, that has been sealed for thousands of years that contains these perfectly preserved uh, cave paintings that are 20,000, 30,000 years old. And it looks as if they were literally just painted yesterday. And there's tons of them in this cave. And they actually thought at the beginning that uh, they were fake because they, they looked so new. They later authenticated them. but And it's just... Uh, Herzog is able to take a cam a camera crew, a small camera crew, in and film these magnificent paintings. Yes. <clears throat> the 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 cave is called uh Chevette Cave. Where's it located? In, s- in southern France. Okay. Yeah, so uh the thing about this is the f- the footage of the paintings was incredible. They, he had to use um, a very cheap camera. He couldn't take any, like, really big, sophisticated equipment in there. And um, with with this one, as with his other films, he narrates it. He narrates everything himself. And he talks about how they were only able to take in, like, um, two or three lights. And they had to use this, like, kind of cheap camera to capture everything. But it looks incredible. And if you see it in theaters, or if you saw it in theaters, they did um, convert it to 3D. So, from what I, I'm told, it looks really good in 3D. Did you see it in 3D? I did not get to see it in 3D. But yeah, apparently, the, you know, the whole idea, the reason he used the 3D is he had uh, a feeling that the original uh, cave painters that when the light would flicker off of their torches and stuff, that it was almost sort of like a Mm proto-cinema, where it made the images appear to be moving. So that's why they added the 3D with, you know, the cameras and stuff, or the the lights and everything, as they were trying to recreate that. And apparently they did. That's what I've heard, that it does look as though the animals and stuff are moving on the walls because of the way the walls are textured and everything. Right. Yeah, I heard that too. And um the the way that they drew the 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 animals and stuff, they kind of drew them as if they were in motion. Mm-hmm. So that kind of added added to that effect. Um it was just really incredible to see these things. I mean, they looked they were just so crisp and vibrant and like new looking. It was um I I did have several criticisms with the film though i did feel like there just wasn't enough content to make that into a feature film i thought that they used he used a lot of filler and uh i thought a lot of it was unnecessary and it it just i felt like it just went on for way too long and just yeah uh, 
had some yeah. issues. Yeah, I think I would have to agree with that because it does. After a while, you're like, uh, I mean, at first you're like, wow, these paintings, mm-hmm. uh, and the story of how they found them and how old they are, everything like that, and all the rules, like that yeah. Herzog had to. You could only go into the cave with three people. You could only stay in for a couple hours a day because there's like near toxic levels of radon and carbon dioxide. They had to wear special suits. Like all this stuff that they had to go through. And it was like, wow, okay, okay. And you see the paintings and everything. And then after a while, you're like, oh, okay. That's it. That's all I needed to see. And, right. But this, the film still goes on for like 45 minutes after that. Yeah. And that was what I, in addition to the paintings themselves, I thought that the most interesting things were, like you said, all the rules that they had to follow and they had to stay on a very specific path inside the cave and in in certain areas of the cave, they weren't allowed to film. And then in certain areas of the cave, they had to like rush through them because there were even more toxic gases in, in certain areas and stuff. And I thought all that was interesting, but like when, uh, he, he does like, uh, he talks with a lot of historians and things like that about how old they are, where they came from, how people lived back then and that type of thing. And I just didn't find that nearly as compelling as like the 20 or the 20 or 30 minutes that we were actually inside the cave. Yeah. Plus there was... What was it? Maybe five, ten minutes of albino crocodiles. <laughs> yes, yeah. There's was. always, which is Herzog's staple. There's always a weird animal in his movies, for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. Which I, it, there was a point where I'm watching and I'm like, oh, I wonder what what his weird animal is going to be for this for this movie. Yeah, I think that's like become one of his calling cards i think he just hears about these animals and he's like you know what that's pretty cool i'll put that in there yeah exactly it's nothing to do with the cave paintings but whatever i'll tie it in somehow and the uh i thought that the the scene with uh the spear when the guy was throwing the spear (laughs) showing off how they made weapons back then that was just it was just silly i think he was using i think what are they called an atolotl, I think. No, it's yeah. like a, it's like yeah, it's like a piece of bone or something. It hooks. Oh in. yeah. You like hook into the spear mm-hmm. and then you throw it that way. Yeah, it supposedly gives it like it like balances it and makes it fl- go through the air faster and straighter. Yeah. I mean that's cool, but I felt like it really didn't have too much relevance to what we were watching. No. But I do have to say that his narrating is the greatest. I wish it was a lot that he had to narrate everything. Yeah, yeah. I do love his narration. It's, it's the best. Um, well, we kind of strayed away from Oscar picks. That was not nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> no, which he never is for some reason. Well, I guess it, sometimes he is, but it seems like they... Yeah, they they forget. I, they snub him. See, I don't know. There might have been a dispute of when that film actually came out because more than likely, I looked it up, and there's some some sources say that it came out in 2010. So I don't know if it if it came out in early 2011, they might have forgot about it. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> honestly, I although I haven't seen Undefeated, I, I would say that the other nominees for the Oscars are just stronger just stronger than that one yeah um yeah getting back to the oscar nominees um we have if a tree falls which is the story of the earth liberation front um did you get a chance to see that one yet i did not get to see that one uh that was uh probably my top pick for the oscars um Uh. yeah i think i think it was very 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 good movie about sort of the rise and fall of the elf and um basically they back in the i think it was like mid 2000s maybe they uh burnt down a whole bunch of logging factories and logging camps and um 
it was a whole string of arsons and um it kind of just tells the story of the members and it goes over their lives and uh it's just a really really fascinating story and the interesting thing about it was it wasn't like you didn't automatically side with them you didn't feel like compassion towards them it kind of raised more questions than anything it it you knew what they did was wrong, but it was like, how how wrong? Yeah, you're not exactly sure. How wrong is it? Is because, it really wrong? Because in some cases, the companies that they burnt down, like the Wild Horse Slaughtering Factory... Uh, why, do, why does that exist? <laughs> yeah. I just, um, and for some reason, the only thing I can think of in my head that what, when you when you say that sentence... Is I'm just imagining a guy just out of nowhere going, I'm going to start a wild horse slaughtering factory. And then yep. him coming up with like a business plan <clears throat> and taking it to the bank <laughs> to get fun. Like, who was like, uh, you might want to change the name of it. Yeah, so one of the, that is really one of the companies that they burnt down. It was a company that specialized in capturing wild horses and slaughtering them and there they actually slaughtered so many wild horses that the blood from all the horses ran out of the factory and contaminated the town's water supply because there was wow. that many gallons of blood uh, that were run off from this and after they burnt down the factory the company ended up dissolving they couldn't come back so to me that's a win yeah i would i chalk that up as a win it's it's i just didn't realize that there was that big of a problem with wild horses well what it is um these big logging companies when they're clear-cutting forests they need to get rid of the wild horses because that's like part of their habitat so they need to get rid of them too, in addition to all the trees, because you know, f- trees. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's so bizarre. Before we cut down all these trees, let's kill all the animals that live in here. Yeah, let's just dest- before we destroy their ecosystem, let's destroy them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, then there's a guy that's you know over here sitting. He's like, oh, by the way, I own a wild horse slaughtering factory so I think I could help you guys out and they're like wow wow but yeah it was very very good I didn't know a whole lot about the ELF I mean I've seen bits and pieces about their uh, their their shenanigans on uh, the news and stuff but it was a very interesting story to, to say the least and, and it raised a lot of questions because they were garnered terrorists they were mm-hmm. given the label of terrorists so that brings us to okay what is a terrorist is it somebody that burns down an empty logging company factory because they, they would only burn down the factories when they knew that there was no one there and no one around they never, yeah. in, they never injured anyone they never killed anyone so it, it's like, is is arson a, a terrorist, you know, activity? Because to me, a terrorist is somebody that kills people. Yeah. That That's somebody that wishes harm on another person. But they were branded as terrorists. And, you know, normally, okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're a terrorist in name, but... In our country, if you're branded a terrorist, there's a lot more that comes with that than just the name itself. Like when they when they were tried, um, they um, get tried in a special court, and if they get found guilty, they go to a special jail that just houses terrorists, like um, Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, uh, what I think it's 2005, the FBI announced that the earth liberation front was america's greatest domestic terrorist threat yeah man that's just terrible it's just ridiculous i mean i don't i'm not saying that what they did was right or wrong i don't have an opinion about that either way but 
and, and the thing is, the film doesn't really say that either. It kind of just poses the question to you. Um, yeah. But it was an excellent, excellent film. That is, I know that that is available on <laughs> Netflix Instant Watch. Yes. So you should definitely and, check that one out. And that's one of those things that I, I love when... Because I think that's what a good documentary should do. It shouldn't really... It should just present facts and let you decide. Yeah. Which is a, another reason that I really enjoyed Tabloid. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't... They just... They told their side of the story, and you were left to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, they didn't go out and say, like, oh, she actually did this, she's guilty, she's crazy. Yeah, yeah. They didn't say anything like that. No, they just had everyone tell their side and just leave it at that. Yeah, and um, in in If a Tree Falls, they, they do a lot of interviews with law enforcement that were involved and... and you know, authority figures and that type of thing. So it's not just one side. They do interview, you know, the other side as well. They, they even interview some of the owners of the logging companies that they burnt down. So it's a pretty even, evenly, you know, do they um, interview the, the wild horse slaughtering factory guy? (laughs) No, no, they don't. They do not interview him. I think he deserves a documentary unto himself I think they could uh, I want to learn more about wild horse slaughtering factories I'm feeling a reality show that's what I'm feeling Discovery they could play it after Gold Rush and just have have it be like horse horse slaughter (laughs) horse (laughs) time to slaughter some wild horses and they can do it just like Gold Rush where there's different teams that are competing with each other to see who can slaughter the most horses (laughs) In a season, who, yes. the The goal is who can contaminate the town's drinking water first with <laughs> the blood of innocent wild horses. With the winter season nearing an end, <laughs> wow! The Hoffman crew must slaughter as many horses as they possibly can. They need a hundred gallons of horse blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Oh, I can't believe that's a real life story. Yeah. That actually yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you want to talk about next? What what other uh docs? Wild, wild horse slaughtering factories, that's all I want to talk about for the rest <laughs> of my life. But I guess we should move on. Uh what were what were some of the other ones? Well we already talked about Pina. We talked about Pina. Uh Helen back again is back again. the other one that's um i'll just briefly talk about that one it's uh, a documentary about the war in afghanistan and it follows uh one marine and it jumps back and forth between his time in the war uh footage from the war and then after he came back to the states and is getting acclimated to civilian life back in the united states and in the beginning of the film, he gets shot and sustains a very serious injury. He gets shot in the uh, in the thigh, I believe, and or in his side. And it, the film just kind of goes over the problems that he has, both mentally and physically, after he comes back from the war, as he tries to rehab his leg and and walk and and that type of thing. But it was very, very, and, and I've said before that I'm kind of done with um, Middle East war documentaries after I after I saw Restrepo I thought okay that's probably the best it's going to get but I really really enjoyed Helen back again the way that they seamlessly integrated the war footage with the footage of him being home it was just masterfully done just amazing the cinematography was incredible the the war footage was horrific and brutal and real and it looked so crisp i guess they were using like hd cameras or something because it looked so good if you know like if i was watching it and you came in the room you would probably think i was watching you know uh, um like a theatrical fiction movie about the war it looked that good wow so, highly recommend that, too. Um, yeah, well, that's also 
that's streaming on Netflix as well. Yes. So you should definitely check that one out as well. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time. We can't talk about Paradise Lost 3, but it is an excellent film, and you should definitely check that one out as well. Um, I think that that one has a really good chance of winning the Oscar. That does it for this week. Make sure you check back at filmpulse.net for all the latest news, reviews, features, and more. Uh, You can check back tomorrow for our daily podcast. Also, make sure you check out audibletrial.com slash filmpulse. Get yourself your free audiobook. Help out the show. A big thank you goes out to Ryan once again for watching a movie for us. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam, and we will see you tomorrow.